Hey there, I'm your host, T.G. Brand Fault, and you are listening to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast, where we try to bring you actionable information and normalize cannabis to the stories of entrepreneurs, activists, and industry stakeholders. Today, I'm joined by Eric Gomez. He's the CEO and founder of Canopy San Diego. How are you doing today, Mr. Gomez? I'm doing well, thank you, Tim. Excellent. Uh, I want to thank you for joining me, uh, and congratulations on your Spring Accelerator program. I'm sure you've got a lot going on uh, with that, right? Thank you. Yeah, it's, uh, this is our second cohort, so it's it's pretty cool to have eight new companies in here. We've got about, you know, uh, 16, 20, we've got about 22 new entrepreneurs in here, so you can imagine the amount of energy that's in the building. I'm, I'm sure it's absolutely incredible, and we'll, and we'll talk about uh, talk about that, the energy, the you know, the the uh, accelerator program a bit more. But before we get uh, get into that, I want to know about you. Uh, what did you do before getting into the cannabis industry, and and how'd you end up there? I came here in a somewhat circular fashion. Uh, I graduated UCLA with an engineering degree and went into uh, datacom. So that was in the late '90s. So I basically got into the really the dot-com and the data bubble uh, right near its peak and, and near the end of that. And uh, when that ended, I went back to school, got an MBA uh, in real estate finance and went into the real estate world, and this was in the late 2000s. So again, right at the peak of the, uh, the real estate bubble and, and obviously the, the crash on a global basis this time that that caused. So. I got in on two of, you know, our lifetime's biggest, biggest bubbles right at the end. And so now that I've had a few years to uh, to make some money and become an investor myself, I started looking around at, you know, what was the next big industry. And after um, an analyst uh, brought some information to me and I, I made a trip to Denver, I realized that cannabis was the right place to be. So I came in really as an investor and, and looking to if, if the opportunity came about to be an operator and, you know, this time at the beginning of what is uh, our, you know, this decades uh, great industry. So I, I got to ask you, you're, you're probably the third or fourth or maybe even fifth person that I've interviewed on this podcast that has uh, worked previously in the real estate sector. So can you maybe offer some insight as to why uh, so many people who were in real estate end up in this space? Well, I would say if they're currently operating and investing, then there's clearly a reason for elevated uh, values. Now, my experience ha- has led me to be very, very weary of real estate investments at this point in time in cannabis because they are elevated. You know, we all know that right now uh, margins and pricing is is higher than they than they will be uh, tomorrow, and we've seen that data proves that out in in Colorado and Washington, and and now Canada is starting to see the same thing. So. I think that that's probably why real estate guys say, wow, this is great because now my property that was useless out in the desert is you know, worth four times as much as it was um, six months ago. So I, I would say that's that's reason number one. Reason number two might be because, you know, let's face it, real estate is a bit, um, it's a bit boring. Um, <laughs> so when, when, it, when you have a little bit of cash again from you know, previous investments and now you look at kind of a, a new and upcoming, upcoming thing that is slightly tied to something you're familiar with, which is real estate, I think a lot of guys are jumping in and saying, hey, let's, uh, let's build a portfolio. Can you draw any similarities between the emerging cannabis industry and uh, what you noticed while working in the tech sector during the dot-com boom? Yeah, I would say there's a lot of similarities. Um, number one is venturing into the unknown. Um, 
you know, I know we'll get into in, in the investment uh, landscape in a bit here, but a lot of investors are really, um, it really taking a big risk. And they're saying, hey, I, I don't know where this is going to go, but I know it's going somewhere. I know it's growing very rapidly. And I know if I get in with the right teams and in the right sectors and protect myself well enough that I'm going to have a decent investment. So there's there's that similarity. And there's also clearly a bubble effect. You know, a, a true bubble happens not because there's organic growth um, that is deserving. It's when that growth starts pulling funds from other industries uh, that are also equally deserving. And so I think cannabis is not quite there yet, but I, I'm, I'm starting to see signs of people throwing money at cannabis simply because uh, they have the money. So that's a bit scary. So, you know, uh, warning to all investors, you know, really do your due diligence as you normally would. Um, really think through all possible scenarios, pr protect yourself on a legal side, make sure you're getting with the right teams um, and, you know, research everything two, three times over because a lot of the information that's out there today is, is uh, largely hyped. And, and I mean, we're definitely going to talk more about the the investment stuff uh, in the uh, second part of the show. But um, I want to I want to switch gears, move back a little bit. Um, you guys over over in Canopy San Diego, you're the first cannabis cannabis industry accelerator in Southern California. Um, why do you think that took so long? That's a great question. We've asked ourselves that that exact same question many many times. Um, the startup scene here is a bit disjointed. Um, it doesn't have the the organization that Silicon Valley has that, you know, Austin, um, uh, Boulder, Boston, New York has. And I think it might be just because there's so many different industries um, at play here in Southern California. And I think a lot of the VC firms when, whenever they put wherever they put down roots, um, that tends to sort of uh, flow down and then create those other uh, groups that um, start building accelerators and, and other sort of startup um, uh, uh, structures. So it's it's a great question. I honestly don't have a certain answer for you. I can only um, kind of guess at the different reasons. As far as cannabis, um, you know, SoCal is the biggest probably consumer region in the in all of the United States in terms of consumption. Obviously, it's a huge population base. The manner in which it's developed has been largely gray market. There are thousands of dispensaries in Los Angeles, thousands of dispensaries um, in the rest of SoCal, but only, what, 20, 30 are operating legally. So I think maybe there's a larger gray market here than, than in other um, markets. And I think that's because of the, the slow the slow roll through the regulations and also because we do have such a kind of a, a dispersed population. Well, and, and you you did a, a lot of your sort of overview. And I don't really want to call it training, but uh, with uh, the guys over at uh, Canopy Boulder, um, what are some lessons that you learned from from that experience that you brought with you to SoCal? Yeah, those guys, um, you know, they're the reason they're the reason we, we duplicated the model, because when I went out to Denver uh, as an investor, I found a couple of companies and one of which is BDS, which is still doing quite well and disclosed, uh, I believe, a two million dollar round. Um, it was that investment philosophy that made sense to me. And I understood that due to the 
uh, stage of this industry, um, you know, basically being brand new, then an accelerator model made sense because you really need to you need to have a safe place for people to come together, for mentors, for entrepreneurs, um, and for investors to come together, uh, share ideas, and really build value in these new companies. Um, in a in a very strategic manner, um, you know, due to the legal risks and the banking risks, you know, it's just not it's just not as easy to just sort of create startups and 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 invite entrepreneurs in and develop um, you know enough of a critical mass of companies that that you can produce enough investable um, companies. So the accelerator model that Canopy uh, adopted, which is essentially a copy of, you know, Techstars, Y Combinator, you know, the big guys out there, uh, made sense to me at this particular point in time. Um, because as I, as I just mentioned, you know, the, the gray market feeling out here in SoCal for cannabis just doesn't lead to any any platform where you can access information and invite entrepreneurs, mentors, and investors in and have them sort of um, feel safe. Well, I mean that 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 makes a ton of sense. When uh, I've I've spoken to a lot of investors who simply won't invest in any sort of gray market uh, system, such as I mean I'm in Michigan. You know, no one will invest in Michigan because of all the questions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Mark Twain he had said during the gold rush, it's a good time to be in the pick and shovel business. And uh, over at Canopy San Diego, you guys have embraced this philosophy. Uh, you're you're only investing in ancillary businesses. Not not none of the uh, the startups that that you're working with touch the plant. Um, what sort of growth are you seeing right now in California's ancillary industry in the lead up to rec- the the recreational regime? Uh, it's, it's exciting because I think the way it rolled out was almost perfect. You had, you had legalization in Colorado in 2014 and that led, uh, and, and, and kudos to the, um, you know, all the regulators in Colorado that, that really kind of let it take its own form. Um, now that that, you know, small market, uh, relative to California has fully developed or not fully developed, but is, is, is getting there. Um, you know, they were able to, to really give us an example of what to do out here. And because we just, uh, you know, passed about November and now in 2018, we're waiting for the actual licenses to be handed out. We've got plenty of runway to develop, um, develop software, develop hardware, develop solutions, put those all in place, put them through the accelerator, make sure they ramp up with the, um, you know, medically, the, the medically, uh, the, sorry, the licensed dispensaries for medical marijuana here in here in San Diego and SoCal. And then once, um, you know, everything comes on board in 2018, we're ready to really go and have all of our our ducks in a row ready to go. So the timing was 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 really great. And we've already seen, I mentioned BDS earlier, that was an early canopy company. Um, they just closed a $2 million round. Uh, Work is also an early canopy company. I think they were the cohort following BDS. They just closed a $2 million round. Um, Trative, which is also a canopy company, is actually um, has a, had an office out here in Solana Beach. They raised a, they raised a decent amount of money. So those guys are our, are our role models, and they're all looking at California as the next market that they want to go into. Now that they've got a foothold, they've got investors behind them, um, and those investors include California investors, Florida investors, Chicago investors, um, you know, a a nice geographic, um, uh, you know, differentiation that's really focusing on these companies. And really, that's the growth potential for them is California. You know, we've got a 
um, two, three billion dollar business um, today, and that's expected to double in 2018 when REC comes online. So um, the growth is all ahead of us. Are there any kind of internal discussions uh, to get involved with businesses that touch the plant, you know, eventually? In terms of our accelerator? Yes, sir. It, uh, discussions, yes. The exact pathway to that is yet to be determined. Um, You've got to, number one, align with your investors. And so one of, you know, one of the big pitches for being the picks and shovels is that we are highly de-risking, you know, cannabis investments. So um, that's the best way to take advantage of all the upside of the industry without, you know, assuming the the, the full risk profile of, of touching the plant. So that would be um, the first task would be to go to the investors and say, what is your appetite for this? Um, are you willing to, you know, basically take um, two times the risk here, right? You're touching the plant and you're talking about startup companies. And we all know that, um, you know, the, the, the percentile of startup companies that actually make it big are, are, are very, is very small. So I think that uh, risk appetite would might be tough to swallow. Um, if we can find people that are willing to do it, then by all means, we could set up a separate uh, fund and put investors into that vehicle that that um, are now are now dealing with those kinds of companies. Um, I don't know that we're ready for it here yet. Um, there's certainly a lot of science that's being developed, but speaking to various scientists um, that are in that are starting to look at cannabis, including our managing director Jack Tizzi, who is a PhD in immunology. You know, the viewpoint is you're not looking at tech startup scalability, right? You're not talking about building a company in three months, you know, producing revenue in six months and potentially scaling up to an exit in three years. You're talking about doing research for a number of months, if not years. And and then the actual commercialization of that of that research may not even be possible. You know, it may just end up being something that's shared with the community in general. So there's a lot to think about there, and we're, we haven't committed to that yet. So I, I want to talk to you a bit about uh, the projects that, that you are working on and you have worked on, but before we get into that, we got to take a short break. This is the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. I'm T.G. Brandfall. This episode of the Gontrepreneur.com podcast is made possible by Name.com, a global provider of domain name, web hosting, and email services. Every successful cannabis business needs an online presence, and every successful online presence begins with a domain. From your website to your email address, a good domain is easy for your customers to remember, it looks nice on a business card or billboard, and it reflects the true identity of the project it represents. It's important to reserve your domain early on when you are starting your business, as you may find that the .com address for your preferred brand or concept has already been taken. If somebody has already purchased the ideal .com for your business, they might be willing to sell it, but if they aren't, you may have to get creative with one of the new alternate domain extensions, such as .co, .club, .shop, or even .farm. Reserve your domain name today at name.com slash gondrepreneur. If you are a domain name investor or venture capital firm interested in acquiring or advertising premium cannabis domains, go to the Gondrepreneur domain market to browse a wide variety of names, including strains.com, cannabismedia.com, mj.com, and countless others. 
Discover branding opportunities for your next startup and learn about listing your premium domain names for sale at gonjapreneur.com slash domains, sponsored by name.com. Welcome back to the gonjapreneur.com podcast. I'm your host, T.G. Brandfault, here with Eric Gomez, CEO and founder of Canopy San Diego. Um, so before the break, we were talking about... Uh, you know, kind of, kind of being the pick in the pick and shovel business, and uh, not, not in any sort of way touching the plant and with your with your accelerator program. Um, with regard to that program, what types of projects get you excited? How long into a pitch or a proposal uh, before you know whether or not you are going to accept a company into your program? So what what gets us excited is the things that aren't exciting. We want <laughs> the boring, basic already done before solutions that uh, we can apply in the cannabis uh, space simply because A, it's not exciting and B, because the big companies that provide these services are willing to get in. So, you know, we've got a programmatic ad company in here. We've got a, a point of sale system company in here. We've got a asset tracking system in here. We've got an event management company. Um, you know, real basic stuff. And and you can probably name off the top of your head two major players in each one of those industries I just mentioned in the mainstream, um, uh, you know, in, the, in, in global mainstream. But those companies aren't coming in. They're not coming in because they can't have a national solution because their banks won't allow them, because their shareholders won't allow them, et cetera. So that's left us with a huge gap, and we're filling that gap. We're taking advantage of this, you know, two to seven-year gap, whatever it is, before all the states come online, before there's some sort of federal easing on on, on the banking regulations, um, and that gives us the opportunity. So, you know, if, if, a, if, if an entrepreneur comes in and pitches me on some brand new idea that's going to disrupt the entire world, you know, that's not for us. That might be for Y Combinator or one of these guys that, you know, is, is unicorn hunting. We want the real basic software business services solutions that these guys have done before. You know, maybe they've done it in the, um, you know, mainstream retail business and now they're just applying to cannabis. That's what we want. We want uh, singles, doubles. We're not looking for those home runs because that's the opportunity we've been handed. And that's the you know perfect storm that we're playing in. What do you look for in company leadership? It's passion for the product and for their uh, solution. And it's also that they've done it before. Uh, we all know that entrepreneurs, you know, founders of companies and, 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 you know, our companies in the accelerator have between one and three people in them. You know, these are, these are the, the founders and we know that they're not going to be the CEOs that are going to take them to a series B, you know, the, the percentage of, of founders that end up being the CEO at that stage are, are, are tiny. Um, and, and we're very clear with them about that, but we do want them to be passionate and have the technical knowledge and the market knowledge to take those companies, get them out of the seed stage, um, get them that initial funding, and make them attractive to a VC, which the, which can then add that additional layer of, of expertise and, and corporate management. So it really comes down to passion and knowledge of uh, the product that they're building. And you had mentioned earlier that, uh, you know, if somebody comes and pitches to you, uh, you know, you're not really, you don't have the appetite for uh, disruptive ideas. But, but what sectors, in your opinion, as an investor might be ripe for 
disruption? I, I would say that because we're looking at a plant that is traditionally that's been farmed for you know centuries um, in the gray market here in the United States for a century, um, you know they've developed a lot of art in their in their farming and now we're looking at turning this into a raw material that produces for a number of different industries ranging from you know lifestyle artisan products to fda regulated uh, pharmaceuticals you now have to apply real science to getting the most out of a plant um, you know, from clone to all the way to oil extraction, there are a number of ways you can improve on what's been done in the past because now you're going to attract PhDs from all over the world and they're going to start working on these on these challenges. So that, I believe, is where the disruptive solutions are going to come from. Um, I do not have a lot of um, optimism that those solutions are going to necessarily come out of the United States. I think because we're so slow to uh, regulate this and, and legalize it, that a lot of the medicinal research and a lot of the PhDs that are required to work on this stuff are going to, they're going to be um, doing this in Israel or Canada or Colombia. Um, one of these countries that is going to be a lot faster to realize the medical benefits of, of, of cannabis and accelerate those programs and support them. So I, I, you know, we're, we're just about to get into the uh, the investment stuff, and I'm I'm really happy that you that you briefly touched on uh, some other legal markets. Uh, but before we get into that, we have to take our last break. This is Gondrepreneur.com podcast. I'm T.G. Brandfold. At Gondrepreneur, we have heard from dozens of cannabis business owners who have encountered the issue of canna bias which is when a mainstream business, whether a landlord, bank, or some other provider of vital business services, refuses to do business with them simply because of their association with cannabis. We have even heard stories of businesses being unable to provide health and life insurance for their employees because the insurance providers were too afraid to work with them. We believe that this fear is totally unreasonable and that cannabis business owners deserve access to the same services and resources that other businesses are afforded, that they should be able to hire consultation to help them follow the letter of the law in their business endeavors, and that they should be able to provide employee benefits without needing to compromise on the quality of coverage they can offer. This is why we created the Gondrepreneur.com Business Service Directory, a resource for cannabis professionals to find and connect with service providers who are cannabis-friendly and who are actively seeking cannabis industry clients. If you are considering hiring a business consultant, lawyer, accountant, web designer, or any other ancillary service for your business, go to Gondrepreneur.com businesses to browse hundreds of agencies, firms, and organizations who support cannabis legalization and who want to help you grow your business. With so many options to choose from in each service category, you will be able to browse company profiles and do research on multiple companies in advance so you can find the provider who is the best fit for your particular need. Our business service directory is intended to be a useful and well-maintained resource, which is why we individually vet each listing that is submitted. If you are a business service provider who wants to work with cannabis clients, you may be a good fit for our service directory. Go to gondrepreneur.com businesses to create your profile and start connecting with cannabis entrepreneurs today. 
Welcome back to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. I'm your host, T.G. Brandfault, here with Eric Gomez, CEO and founder of Canopy San Diego. Um, so before the break, we were, we were talking about investments, um, and you had mentioned some of these other com- uh, countries, Canada, Israel, uh, Colombia. Uh, two countries that I, Australia and Canada, have, um, they, they have very, very strong uh, cannabis, publicly traded cannabis uh, industry. And so my question to you is, um, what, what's your advice to, you know, U.S.-based investors when dealing with non-U.S. markets? Wow, great question. Uh, first of all, I guess we'd have to determine their their access, their level of access to those um, to those markets. But let's assume they have open access. You know, it's it's so hard investing in any international entity simply because you can't touch and feel it, and and unless you've got a local contact there, it's really tough to fully understand uh, what you're dealing with. Um, I would say that right now in the cannabis industry, looking at public markets. I think you just need to understand and create an analogy of what is cannabis and what is a similar industry that we've seen and how have those companies and how have those stocks reacted over time. You know, we've already seen, you know, Canada is about the size of California, so it's relatively similar in terms of size. We've seen already the value of, you know, canopy growth and a couple of other uh, Canadian cultivators really skyrocket to levels where if you do some you know, basic metric analysis, um, you realize that they're quite overvalued. And then you look at the size of the market and you realize, wow, the, even if even if they do extraordinarily well, they can't support these valuations. So um, I think it comes down to basic market analysis and your ability as an investor to do some real basic, um, you know, reasoning on how big is the market, how much can it possibly grow, um, where are these companies going to look for growth, and Canada and, and Australia are good examples because, you know, naturally they're they're exporters by, you know, by nature simply because they're, they're small countries. Um, so where are those international markets going to be? What kind of contracts do they have? I mean, you really have to dig into the growth projectories, uh, projections of, this, of these companies. I would say that Canadian stocks are probably the, the the one place where the value may have already been realized. Understanding that whoever the leaders are today, unless they go on a very aggressive acquisition strategy or really lower their cost of production, like I think it is Afria, if I'm not mistaken, I could be mistaking that with Aurora, but I think they have a lower pr- cost of production than, for example, Canopy Growth. So you have to start looking at, at fundamentals of these companies and see who's doing the right thing to grow in the next year, two years. So since the election of Donald Trump here in the U.S., um, have you seen any, what, what's been your experience in terms of, uh, what have you seen on the investment front? Have, have they slowed down, or not investment, but uh, yeah, investment's probably the right word. <laughs> but have you seen any slowdown in, in investments since Donald Trump's election? Uh, that's, a, that's another good question. I would say that sort of, you know, macro influence, headline influence, if you will, affects public, uh, um, public markets much more than private markets. You know, we can have the conversation with our LPs. We can have the conversation directly with our entrepreneurs and directly with the, um, the, the operators in the industry here in SoCal to kind of work through 
uh, whatever, um, you know, rhetoric comes out of DC and really figure out if it's going to really affect us and what, what would that look like downstream, right? What, what, what would a raid or a shutdown look like in our local economy? with local operators. Is it actually possible? How far away is it? What have we done to protect ourselves? So, you know, public markets, which are much more fluid and, and, and move on, on headlines, um, certainly I would imagine are subject to that. But for what we're doing, which is more localized, more private, um, we really haven't had, we really haven't seen a slowdown. It might've required a few more conversations and a little bit more in-depth analysis of our protection. But um, I think, the people that are interested in this industry already have the understanding that this industry is going to grow and keep growing. We've seen it already for the last few years. And no matter what rhetoric comes out of DC, you, you're not going to, you know, you can't deny the fact that the consumer base is there and that people will buy it, whether it's on the black market or on the white market or somewhere in between, which is where you've been operating, you know, for the last couple of years. So um, sorry for the long-winded answer there, but I guess the answer really is for what we're doing, no. We haven't seen the Trump presidency have a huge effect. So, but I'm sure that you've had a lot more conversations with you know, investors in this space than I have. Um, are, are, you know, what's kind of the feeling? What's, what's, the, what's the weather like you know, in, in the investment for, for investors? You know, what are your conversations like? Uh, it's... Again, I think once we get past the fact that the things coming out of D.C. are not uh, really feasible in terms of slowing down um, the markets. And that's and that's the sense. And that's the sense. Yeah. Then it comes back down to, again, fundamentals. You know, what are we developing? You know, why did we choose to go into tech as opposed to, you know, a dispensary licensing, uh, you know, financing or something like that? And that's because we don't want to be affected by what Trump or Sessions or, or anybody else says in D.C. We want to be insulated from that initial reaction. If for some reason there were, um, you know, police or legal action in our, you know, in our in our community, who would be the first to be um affected. It definitely wouldn't be us. You know, they're not going to come after a business tech accelerator. So, um, you know, those, those are things we've already thought through. Um, I never got into this wanting to be subject to regulatory, um, changes and that's why we chose the vehicle that we did. And that's why we're choosing the companies, uh, that we are, um, you know, sure, it's we're all in this together, and 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 that rhetoric does cause um, a certain amount of uh, waves throughout the entire industry. But we feel we're we're pretty well insulated. So, and what's your broader advice for investors, both you know, uh, both the ones who are comfortable in this space, but maybe others who are you know treading sort of lightly right now you know, kind of dragging their feet, whether or not they're going to get into the industry. Uh, I would say it's the same for, for investment in any industry, right? Understand what you're getting into. If, if you have a, the money to invest and b the appropriate amount of knowledge of what you're investing in, then go for it, then jump in. If you have, if you don't have the money, if you don't have the knowledge, if you have these doubts and you're counting on other people telling you things in order to make you feel comfortable, then don't do it. 
And, and I certainly understand that there are people across that entire spectrum uh, when it comes to cannabis. And, um, you know, we don't try to change people's minds if they are dead set that, you know, that the federal government's going to come crashing down on this industry. Um, if they can't sort of come to that conclusion based on a, a, a real quick conversation with us, uh, then we know that they're probably going to need to wait for another two or three years, or they might have to wait until, you know, it gets descheduled. So um, we sort of put certain investors into certain buckets of these guys are interested. We've got them. Um, we've, we've, we've shared as much knowledge with them as they need to make uh, to get past that concern. And now it's a business decision. And then we've got a bucket of guys who just simply, we just won't be able to convince, you know, they, they don't have that, um, uh, that risk, uh, um, that risk appetite. And finally, what, what's your advice for, for entrepreneurs uh, looking to get into this space? My advice is to really pick one thing, one thing that you know how to do and, and do it well. One thing we've seen is there's so much white space in this industry. There's so much opportunity because big companies aren't coming in, because a lot of entrepreneurs aren't coming in, because institutional investors aren't backing, um, you know, traditional uh, um, uh, startups that it's really uh, quite tempting to come in and try and solve all the problems at once. You know, to be an enterprise uh, solution um, to all cultivators and dispensaries at the same time. And we all know that that's that's a recipe for disaster. So pick one thing you know how to do. Do it well. Um, once you establish some market share and some revenue, then start looking at M&A. Then start looking at, ta- you know, tacking on um, more technical expertise or, you know, looking at partners in the, in the arena. And that's going to fuel all the M&A activity that's going to become pretty active here. Uh, in the next couple of years. Um, you know, we've seen a number of companies start off with pretty lofty aspirations. And then once they realized that they couldn't get funding because nobody got behind them um, because their ideas were too grandiose, uh, now they've sort of dialed it down and realized, okay, hey, this is what we really do well. And now they're getting funded. Now they're moving forward in the industry. So, so that's my primary advice is just to know what you do well and uh, stick to it, start small, and, and let the growth happen organically. And uh, before we go, would you mind telling us a bit about uh, what, who you have in, the, in your Spring Accelerator program? Sure, absolutely. Uh, we've got uh, eight teams. We had eight teams in our, in our fall cohort and eight teams in the spring cohort. One company is a lab in the box company. So we all know that lab testing of cannabis is is um, is now required at a number of different levels. And so we've got a company that's figured out how to scale and um, and and create a lab testing solution that can actually scale across across borders, um, state borders. We've also got a company that is going to f- be focused on corporate training. So they're going to be training uh, bud tenders. They're going to be training people in, in cultivators for safety, for sales, um, to really make the um, these institutions more professional in the way they the way their employees interact with the outside world and internally. We've got a company that's going to do uh, consumer experience management. So really working on getting feedback from consumers as they um, interact with different uh, retailers in the industry and making sure those retailers have that knowledge to understand how to make is better. 
we've got an event management company that's really tying in um, the three um, you know stakeholders in, in in event in event management, which is the attendee, the sponsors, and the exhibitors. And um, sorry, the event the event. Um, um, uh, you know, sponsors and making sure they're all getting what they need out of the events. We've got a company doing travel and experience um, connecting. So, you know, kind of an Airbnb meets uh, meets meetup, if you will, for 420. We've got a company that's doing vertical grow uh, hardware design. So maximizing the square footage in a, um, in a growing facility. We've got a company doing online um, or app-based, I should say, ordering, and they're gonna be focused in on the Canadian market, which is coming online uh, 2018 as well. And uh, I think I covered all of them. <laughs> I mean, it's the the um, it's exciting stuff, you know the the um, the idea that you guys are, are, you know have a, have a Canadian company um, is that unique to your guys's program compared to the other accelerators? I believe so, um, and it's. You know, it's it's a luxury afforded to us by the industry and by the fact that Canada is is moving forward with the with federal legalization. We being in San Diego, we had a um, a definite intention to go south and to encourage uh, Latin entrepreneurs to come into our accelerator and to encourage uh, Latin investors who know this industry is going to grow to to invest in in U.S. companies. And um, so we're, we've got that outreach going south, and of obviously, you know, Canada developing rap as rapidly as they are you know they they saw the opportunity to um to join our accelerator and um and and use canada as their primary market but obviously they've got an eye on on the u.s being the size that it is i don't know of any other canadian companies that have gone through the other accelerators i know canopy boulder has a um has a brazilian company in there well, as I said, I mean, this is all really exciting stuff, uh, you know, c coming through the pike, seeing, you know, all these companies, uh, you know, go, go from, you know, get all the startup money and, and the fact that, you know, there's there's options for them out there, uh, thanks to uh, accelerators such as yourself. Uh, before we go, would you mind telling us uh, where they can find out more about those companies and about uh, Canopy San Diego? Sure. They can go to canopysd.com. Uh, canopy spelled as as it normally is, and then sd for San Diego.com. Uh, they can visit our portfolio page and check out the companies in our previous cohort. Also, look at some videos from our from our demo day. Um, they can contact uh, me, Eric. E-R-I-C at canopysd.com. Um, they can also visit our facility out here in Sorrento Valley. If you're local, come on by. We have um, uh, lots of networking events, happy hours, and um, you know we do speaking engagements. We have some tutorials through one of our partners at Outco Labs uh, to get people uh, more educated on cannabis and, and a lot of the science behind it. So, um, you know, that's one of our primary functions as an accelerator is to create a community which invites in mentors, invites in entrepreneurs, invites investors and people generally looking for uh, to get involved in, in, in the cannabis industry. Well, Eric, I want to thank you again for taking the time uh, to appear on our show and definitely keep us posted on uh, you know the upcoming programs and the status of uh, your graduates. I sure will. I appreciate it. And, and yeah, let me know how I can help. 
You can find more episodes of the Gontrepreneur.com podcast in the podcast section of Gontrepreneur.com and in the Apple iTunes store. On the Gontrepreneur.com website, you will find the latest cannabis news and cannabis jobs updated daily along with transcripts of this podcast. You can also download the Gontrepreneur.com app in iTunes and Google Play. This episode was engineered by Jeremy Sebastiano. I've been your host, T.G. Brandfalls. Thank you.